it is true that probably the first 20 to 30 assets are assets that were made for the game. So things like the sticks, the all, all the terrain, the environmental terrain. Yeah. Um, many of those things were actually redone in some cases up to three or four times. I think the stick right. was the one thing that wasn't, right? Like the, the good stick. stick. Yeah, the stick, mm-hmm. the stick stuck around. You know, some things are so perfect that they can't be improved upon. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 273 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games program. I'm Adam and I'm using the right microphone this time. I'm Sam and I've got long hair. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is August 21th, 20 Blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything could happen on this show and there's going to be profanity. So know that that's coming. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thanks for letting us grab your money. It was if good. If you'd like to support the podcast by letting us grab your money, go to moneygrab.bscotch.net. Let's talk about life. I want to talk about coffee. What, what, uh, what about it? What about it, Seth? I'm 33, okay? As a, I'm a 33-year-old man. I don't understand what I'm this that, has to do with coffee, but yeah. I'm, I'm that age where... Every now and then, you'll see a, a news article about somebody just suddenly dying. And they'll be like, wow, he was only 32. That's crazy, mm-hmm. right? So I'm, I'm starting to get to that point where I'm thinking like, anything could kill me now. Just anything. Yeah. I, have no, I, have, I have no idea what's coming my way. You've lost so that youthful sense of indestructibility. Yes. So, so pretty much ever since I can remember – uh, I've had these random sporadic uh, heart rate spikes, okay? Like, all of a sudden, just for like a minute, boom, like 150 BPM, just like, whew, mm-hmm. really, really up there. Uh, but it would happen, you know, like once in six months or something like that. So I thought, you know, it's probably not, it's probably not a big deal. But uh, I also drink a shitload of coffee. You know, I'm drinking, I'm drinking a, a, a few uh, real strong cups of coffee per day. I started to think, you know, maybe, maybe. these things are connected. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. uh, uh, you know, just about anything can can cause heart rate spikes. You know, if you go if you go and look up, you're like, what could cause this? And you're like, I don't know. Uh, exercise, cancer, coffee, uh, just, big, just being living, a person, being yeah. alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of hard to say. But I kind of thought, you know, maybe it's time to start, you know, making a little bit more – Healthy lifestyle choices. Sure. Experimenting with, with whatever dials you got to see if you can get that to not happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the easiest um, thing to do, and it, it, whenever you see the long list of things that it could be, just pick the thing that you could easily take action on and then, you know, see see what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I mean, I, I am drinking a lot of coffee and it has been like a fundamental staple of basically every aspect of my life for like uh, probably since I was 21 or so. Was it when you were uh, studying for the CFA? Was it when you guys? When I started studying for the CFA exam, is when I started drinking a lot of coffee. That's how they get I just, you. you know. I got locked in. But uh, so as of uh, so on Sunday, I just woke up and didn't drink coffee, and oh my god, it was a it was a different experience. I was tired. I had to take a nap. I had a headache all day, uh, and I didn't want to take Excedrin either because. It, the, one of the active ingredients in Excedrin is caffeine, and yep. like that's what treats your headache. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so I just I just kind of wrote it out, 
Monday was was pretty rough, uh, and I just kind of like have been slowly uh, easing into it. But uh, I just so I just stopped, you know, you cold turkey. And when, yeah, and when I was talking to you and Adam about it earlier in the week, you guys had all of these ways, like all of these suggestions of like ways to transition, you know, out of out of it. <clears throat> but I just stopped. <laughs> so, so, which doesn't mean that it was easy. It was fucking hard, but it was very simple. Yeah, well, I think yeah. we've we've talked about that on the show before about how about how uh, you know the, there's some of this false equivalence I feel like sometimes with whether it's you know dieting or changing up really anything about your life, which is the reality is it's always oftentimes it's very simple conceptually. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like just, you, you, you want to yeah. yeah you want to quit smoking, quit smoking. Yep, like yeah. it's just, in the it's quit. in the name. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, smoking. the the execution <laughs> is so far from easy. Uh, it's easy. It's it's. Uh, I think it's easier to get those two things confused when you're like, I feel bad about myself because I can't. But also, also capacity to do this simple thing uh, differs enormously by person, right? It's, it's one of those annoying things where someone's like, well, I was able just to quit cold. I, like I smoked for ten yeah. years and then I just I just stopped. So why all these other fucking people can't quit? You know, it's like, well, that's not. They're different yeah, like, people. Surprise. They're different people. Yeah. Biology works differently. You know, everyone's in a different uh, psychological state. I mean, because so, so for me, for caffeine. Uh, which I probably talked about the podcast before, but uh, but I've had this endless battle since childhood because I had migraines as a kid and it was treated with caffeine. So I've just been on caffeine in some form or another basically since I was like eight or something. And, and at various points in my life, I've tried to get off of it and I can't go cold because if I go cold, I just have migraines for a week, right? So Ugh. so I can't, not physically possible for me. Um, for, for other people, it's physically possible so they don't have the migraines, but they, they, they're using it to also just as a, as a psychological system, like as a safety net or, or whatever, right? It's like that for, for me, actually, it's a lot of it too. It's like the, the feeling of a hot beverage. It's the, it's the process of in the morning going through the motions of putting coffee together, yeah. right? There, there's, there's a whole a bunch of other to stuff it. too. And if you just take all of that away, then, so, so I, I, so I go for the substitution and the weaning approach where I try to substitute something else. Like, so I, so I, so what works pretty well for me now is just substituting decaf coffee because like there's still some caffeine, but it's way less. You still get all the rich, you still get everything except for just as much caffeine, right? Um, or I go through something that's just as laborious. And so I had this whole, I had this whole like 30 day weaning process using, <laughs> using, it was, it was using the instant coffee I mentioned a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. uh, where I, I would just literally, I would measure it out by gram. Um, in the morning, yep. just in every like morning, I would take a gram away. It started, it started at like 40 grams or something. So I just like take a gram away. Did you put them in little like tiny plastic baggies? And stuff? Yeah, I had little like bags in the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so every morning I would measure it out and I would just have one gram less every single day, just in like weaning down. And I, would, and I would substitute hot chocolate for what I had had left. Otherwise, I was just drinking like kind of gross water, you know, by the end. Yeah, you um, don't want that. It's just terrible. But yeah, so I still, there was like still now a ritual involved. It was now a weaning of the caffeine and like, and like, and so it actually worked really well and I was able to get completely off of it. Um, but, but the thing that always brings me back to coffee is actually the ritual part. Yes. I think, you know, everyone's got their own, their own style with this thing. And so for me, it's sort of a, almost a, a mix between the two methods where I just have like one cup of coffee in the morning and then I just have tea the rest of the day. Uh, but switching to that was also done by using an instant coffee that I could measure the amount of because I realized that kind of like what Seth experienced that when I was making my own coffee at home through a French press, I don't even know. I don't know how potent that shit was every day, but like oh, yeah. and it gets, it, the it range. It gets more potent over time too. It gets like, more potent over time and the range yeah. of it like just is flying all over the place. So now I just take a spoon and I just spoon out some instant espresso in a little tiny espresso cup and that's it, right? And so that's my – that's my morning shot, and then uh, once that's once I go downstairs around like eleven or so, I'll make some black tea, and then I go green tea. So I basically I sort of like transition the caffeine amount 
over the day, but always have a hot beverage involved, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is really what I care about. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. It really is just about having, just having a nice hot cup of something, you know, I got to have, like, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing because, you know, my time in India, like it's hot there. It's just fucking hot mm-hmm. in India. Well, not everywhere in India, but where I was in India, uh, and uh, people are just are just downing tea, hot hot tea, left and right. They're they're eating spicy food, and they're washing it down with hot tea, <laughs> uh, and it's still like it's somehow still pleasant. Yeah, I, mean, and I know a lot of people when they go like in the middle of summer when it's just fucking hot. You know, they like, go to, if they if they normally would go to say Starbucks to get coffee every once in a while, right? They switch over to in the summer now they're having iced coffees of various sorts. Mm-hmm. And I've never, never, no matter how hot it is, I will never choose <laughs> an iced coffee. It's always like they, they, even like the whole thought of it. Like I don't even, I don't even put the two ideas together that it's hot outside and this coffee is hot. That's a bad thing. Like those are those aren't connected kinds of thoughts. It's just completely I need, unrelated. Yeah, it's just I need coffee. Coffee is a hot. Well, beverage. maybe <laughs> maybe when the Earth has turned into a smoldering cinder twenty years from now, you'll be like. You know, I'm going to switch to iced coffee. <laughs> Possible. No, it's just completely changed. Now, yeah. now it's time. Yeah, it's gotten hot enough that uh, it's time. Uh, so, Sam, I think you've got a scone. We got some kind of scone update. Yeah. So, you know, Toy 20 has been the, uh, the the morning walks where my wife and I go and eat scones, right? And this yeah. is now – this is now – we're in. We're deep in. This is like six weeks in, I'm pretty sure. We're, you're, you're in the clutches of big scones. Oh, yeah. Three to five days a week uh, when that shop is open. We're – I'm there. You know, I'm there in the morning. Get up in the morning, go for a little bit of a walk, and then stumble into there like a you know, like an addict, getting my scone fix, get that lemon uh-huh. blueberry scone and just go for it. Okay. Now they're delicious. Don't get me wrong. It's all good. Uh, but I'm starting to I'm starting to see the effects of consuming a scone every single day, you know, on my midsection. Okay. Oh. So I mentioned to my wife the other day, I was like, Yeah, I'm feeling a little fat. And she's like, Nah, you're looking great. You're looking great. And I was like, oh, I think I think I could tell like there's a little something going on, you know, like a little more than the usual. So I think I need to you know back off the scones. And then we're, you know, so she, I think there's there's the interesting sort of rule about like being someone's partner, right? Which is because people are people, like you're, you know, you'll sort of fluctuate about how you feel about your own appearance, right? And your partner's job is oftentimes to just sort of try to maintain the level and be like, no, like you're fine, you're still you're the same as you've been, right? Unless it's the case that you know maybe you've actually gone off the deep end on something, but. Uh, you need a hard knock. But for the most part, I feel like the job is to kind of you know, keep people even. So she was doing that for me. It was great. Uh, we go in the bathroom and then uh, I'm looking at mine. I'm like, oh, yeah, definitely something. And then she looks at hers and she's like, she's like, oh, yeah, I think I'm getting fat. And I go, I just go, oh, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> sort of like unthinkingly because I was going to brush my teeth, just kind of do this thing. And then she just looked over at me and then both of us just like burst out laughing because she was like, that means that you agree. <laughs> so we just sort of like <laughs> lost it, uh, which I think is one of those funny, uh, weird social contracts you have, right? Which is like what the role of a partner is when it comes to not necessarily just the fitness thing, but as far as like being that supportive wedge and how every so often uh, if you're sort of caught off guard, then you have this sort of break of the agreement, which ends up being, in our case, a very funny uh, because I think but it was doing. still supportive in the sense that you both felt that you were going through the same thing, but neither of you wanted to admit it. Uh, yeah, it wasn't, until, it wasn't until both of you started talking about it that you that it kind of broke through. Yeah. It's like, okay, yep, you know what? We're getting scone belly. Yeah, we're getting scone That's belly. That's twenty. So yeah, I think it was one of those things where being slightly distracted by brushing my teeth made it so I wasn't I wasn't, you know, 
I wasn't there. I wasn't 100% ready. So I just reacted. Yeah, you got to focus on those molars. You got to really get back in there. Yeah. I don't, don't want to have to go to the dentist during 2020. You kidding me? I'm brushing these things. Like I got a text from my dentist and they're like, hey, you going to be coming in? And I was like, no. Yeah. I go no, I'm not. Yeah, I was like, no, I'm not coming in. And they were like, we would, we would have appreciated, uh, you know, uh, that you if you would have called in or canceled. Like, you know. And I was like, it's like, hey, I would have appreciated a lot of things, yeah, you know, right now at this point in 2020. But uh, I didn't get those things. This is what an electric toothbrush is <laughs> With an electric toothbrush, you just don't need the dentist. That's what my experience. Every time I go, they're like, your teeth are really clean. Why do your gums bleed so much? Because it's like, it looks like you're flossing. I'm like, just electric toothbrush. Yeah, see, I brush that's a it. manual, you know? So I'm yeah, uh, more that's of a why manual to to the dentist still. It actually sucks. Like the, you know, toothbrush hijacking doesn't happen anymore to me because like – it's a manual, you know. No one even knows how to use it. How to yeah. Nobody it, knows right? how to drive that thing. Uh-huh. So they pick it up and they're like, "How do I put this thing in reverse?" Nobody can't knows. even figure it out. Can't I've been starting to try to figure out how to brush my dog's teeth. You know. Oh yeah, we got one of those finger gloves. Did you get what you got? The weird finger glove thing. No, I got this. I got this really wild toothbrush. It's actually it's like a so. A nor- all right, all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna verb try to verbally walk you through what this is like. Okay, a normal toothbrush is a stick with a flat plate on the end. And bristles coming up vertically off of the flat plate, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. With you. Okay. A dog toothbrush, stick, a V-shaped plate uh-huh. with bristles coming inward at a 45-degree angle. So you sort so of you like can go down the line of the teeth with it? Yeah. So Got you can it. catch both sides of the teeth in one – so you can catch both sides and the bottom of the tooth in one – in one go. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, why the fuck do dogs get this technology? <laughs> like – I want. I want it's it. It's probably because they're, they're like their mouth opening goes backward along the ridge of the teeth. So, like as a person, you only have this a hole facing forward. Also, wait, I mean? what kind of teeth do dogs have? They have a combination. They got all the kinds. Yeah, they, they, got they, a combination they have, they have like molars in. and everything. Like they have like a modified canine that's a molar. That clearly, but it's still all really pointy shit, right? They got yeah. they got super pointy little tiny ones in the front. Yeah. Uh, then they've got giant fangs. Yeah, the, the canonical canine. Right. Yeah, and then they've got they've got molars kind of like ours, but not quite as flat. Like They're, their molars are kind of. It's very much. I wonder how much because like because with our teeth, most of our teeth are just like very. They have extremely flat surfaces, you know. So I feel like it yeah. makes sense that we use another flat thing to scrub them. Rub but the flat dogs stuff. have really pointy surfaces. I feel like it makes sense to. To, you, know, you know, like how uh, those like automatic knife sharpeners and stuff, they're also just like a V, you know, and you just like run mm-hmm. the knife through it. So it's basically the same concept, I think. Yeah. But for some reason, it just, I was laughing so fucking hard because I finally, I finally got the dog under control, you know, and she was kind of chilling. And I, and I have like this special toothpaste and it's kind of, it's kind of minty, you know, which is very unfamiliar to a dog. Yeah. It's a weird choice. And uh, for some <laughs> reason, for some reason, uh, it just cracked me up where like, I finally got to a point where I had the toothbrush in her mouth and it was like behind her cheek and she was just standing there and I was like brushing and it, and it just sounded like a, like a person <laughs> brushing her teeth. So she was just, she was just sitting there just kind of like exasperatedly looking off in the distance and it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It's just fucking hilarious. It's hilarious. It's just it's great. Uh, but uh, I'm only get I'm only getting like three teeth a day here because it's just like that's that's too much. And then she's yeah. Out, that's, so. that's how nail trimming works for the cats. It's like they take, whenever they fall asleep next to me, I just like go and I, and I snip like three to five nails, you know, because that's the most I can get. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, pets, they bring a lot of uh, entertainment, but also a lot of misery sometimes. Speaking of, so. we need that cat update, Adam. Where are we at? Give yeah, us cat, a cat gate. It's been several cat weeks gate. since we talked about it. Um, but we finally made one breakthrough where the new, the newest edition and the oldest edition, I guess the oldest one, uh, are now getting along. So that only took a million fucking years, but they are now finally like playing with each other. There's still some hissing and you know the, that bullshit here and there, but they're not trying to kill each other. They're just playing most Great. of the time, uh, so we can have them just in the same space for most of the day. Uh, it's an exception right have- now because now I'm podcasting, so I just took the I just took the kitten because the fucking kitten can get anywhere, just can get anywhere, and so. If I'm going to have one cat, it's got to be her, basically, because otherwise she will end up here. <laughs> then, then I'll have two, <laughs> and then they'll be doing shit, and I'm trying to record a podcast and the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we so we made that breakthrough, and and our other cat, the one who's the, the problem child, is uh, we're 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 just coming more more to believe that he's got two things happening at the same time. He's got some sort of underlying health issue. Don't know what it is, but he's like he's like itchy all the time. He's like always blinking one eye. Like there's a, a lot just kind of going on. Uh, and he's clearly just anxious. So it's that combo of things now that seem to be the cause for all of the other mm-hmm. problems that like the, the social fabric problems, you know? So we don't know what to do about those yet. We're, we're now, we've been going through this fucking insane headache because part of his, his, part of his stuff is that he just refuses to eat stuff. And so it's been really hard to feed him. There's a really good chance that his medical stuff is, is a food thing, like a food allergy of some sort. So the ways that you treat that are with basically this horrible food called hydrolyzed protein, where it's you just hydrolyze as in like as in like you cause a reaction in between every every protein, every amino acid molecule, so that there's nothing interesting there. It's just a it's just a soup of so amino acids. So you're just giving acids, him right? mush, basically. So you just, it's just mush. It's like it has no taste. It's like abs- but he won't eat anything though. So we're like, he's not going to fucking eat this. So that's one way we can try to treat it. Because then you do that for a while, then you see if all the symptoms go away, right? The other one is you go on a single protein because it's a cat, right? So single protein diet, where you try to find foods that have only one kind of animal guts in them. Right. So we opted for that one because we're like, there's not a chance in hell we're going to even eat. And we already had him lose so much weight one time that we had to put him on a drug that makes him stimulates his appetite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we did this like on this, on this search trying to find foods that he hasn't eaten yet. Uh, so that, so that it's unlikely that's the thing he's allergic to. Right. But that only has that one food in it. And if you ever looked at the back of a, of a, of an animal food can or a human food yeah, can. Yeah, they're just like, like, I don't know. We just, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like whatever the fuck we had on a hand, we just throw it. Just like, if you like, just if you've never read the, read the ingredients of your, of your pet's food, it's insane. It's like the first ingredient is like, it's, it's like chicken, turkey, pork. It's they, they like list every animal that there is. And everyone is just like miscellaneous parts. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so we've been on this quest for trying to find this fucking food and it's, it is a uh, nightmarish, very expensive. Um, and it led to all these questions like – because apparently salmon is a common allergen. And so then we see like there's fish oil in there, all these fucking things. We're like, what kind of fish? So then we're like sending emails to the to the companies and these <laughs> being like, what kind of fish is this? That's and, true. Uh, there's a lot of kinds of fish. There's a lot of kinds of it's, fish. I assume the oil isn't you know the same yeah, across – Yeah, and, and there's also – then also, also many of them also just label meat byproduct, right? So we've had to just avoid <laughs> those ones completely because what kind of meat? Yeah, what kind of – meat. the fuck is in there? You know, meat. Yeah, so, so we've now been trying – so we've landed on basically duck and rabbit because those – are, are like ones that aren't normally in cat food, you know? Mm-hmm. 
So we went like trying to find <laughs> Doug high, the Rabbit. High foods. class. He's a very fancy fucking boy. Uh, and then even further, it was so hard to find like canned food or dry food that just had those things in it. We did find like some, but uh, but then we've been also going for weirder stuff because there's apparently like raw foods for cats is a whole thing. But of course, they go bad really fast. So the way that you get them to, to the way that you get them is as freeze dried little like 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 spaceman food, you know, like nuggets <laughs> that you then rehydrate. <laughs> And so we've just tried oh every fucking God. thing imaginable. It's been it's been quite the well. Journey. In this cat's defense, if you are itchy, if you are blinking constantly, if you're kind of just enraged and not feeling good, I feel like I would also be attacking literally everyone. I remember when oh, I was yeah, on. No, exactly. Uh, I mean, it makes, it makes sense. Yeah. What was that steroid I was on for the uh, for the cancer stuff? The one that makes everybody like lose well, their shit. Prednisone. Yeah. Prednisone. Yeah. Oh my god! Like I was on a super high dose of that, and yeah, there were some times I just had to sit. I just had to sit there as quiet as I could be at the dinner table because, like, we went out to to eat at like an Indian restaurant, and I was literally just like, I was completely enraged, and I had there was no, I had nothing, <laughs> there was nothing happening. I had no reason to be enraged. I was just like sitting there, and I was just like, just mad, just so mad. <laughs> you know, this is something that I. This is kind of a weird, a weird. Uh, Tangent, but I'm going to t- I'm going to yeah, take it. It's something something I've been thinking about is people talk about like, oh, it'd be so interesting if you could like upload your consciousness into a machine, like into a computer, mm-hmm. or make like a robot brain or something. But if you take away the wild soup of gooey hormones, who the fuck are you? Yeah, 100%. you know, because like if you can if you can be completely enraged for absolutely no reason. Um, while just having a nice family dinner, simply because there's some kind of weird, you know, tweak in the soup of your brain, right? Oh, this implies uh, that, like this, this idea implies that that if you were to make a computerized version, that there's like that there's two kinds of things. There's like there's like the stuff that comes from like hormones or whatever, and then there's like your actual brain or something, and we're uploading that part instead of saying, that's what I'm saying. Old, but I'm saying, like, but they're not different though. It's like it's yeah. But it's not even different, like in terms of how you would model it. Because if you want to try to model a brain so you can upload it, your brain is just also a pile of of it's a it's a soup of chemicals, right? So the addition of hormones is just it's just that's just one of the subset of all the chemicals doing stuff. So I don't think you could. I think you would still just if you're going to model a brain, you would also be modeling the hormones mm-hmm. that interact with. You'd them. have to. You'd have to. So you could yeah. be you could be a, a bodiless brain in a machine, completely enraged for no reason. Yeah, because it's like, who who are you? <laughs> the and goal. the answer is, well, it depends. You know, who am I if I haven't had coffee for three days? Who am yep. I when I'm tired? Who am I when I've woken up and I'm jazzed to get ready for the day? Uh-huh. You know, I'm a different person at all these times. And it's all because of soup. Absolutely. Brain soup. Brain soup. Uh, well, good luck on your cat journey. Yeah, so this um, is – so yeah, I feel like we're getting into a good spot, but like but the but these stupid like – nondescript health issues, you know, which of course people have too, right? Where it's just oh, yeah, like, it's hard. I just feel bad all the time. That's like, that's my thing. Right. And then you go to a doctor and you're like, okay, well it could be any of these three dozen things. And, uh, and then and it's hilarious. Cause like, I remember what my wife, since she used to be a pediatrician would, she would come home and talk about like the annoying things that she would see like other physicians doing where they would, they would say like, oh yeah, we're gonna need you to do this with your kid. Cause your kid is sick. Right. And then without taking into account how hard it is to do certain things with kids, like feed them terrible tasting drugs or, you know, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's actually such a bad problem that in a lot of residency programs for pediatrics, the, the residents actually have to taste, they do a medicine tasting. 
so that they know when they prescribe nice. something to a, to a kid, like how bad of an experience it's going to be so that they can have that on their radar as they're doing You know, stuff. I always said that all my oncologists needed to get a bone marrow biopsy. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's they the were just they were yeah. so cavalier. They're like, oh, we're going to send you down for a bone marrow biopsy. I was like, I had one three weeks ago. They're like, yeah, we'll just do another one. We'll check in. And yep. I'm like, fucking no. We'll they, just do one more. We'll just stab you right in the bone. It feels yeah. like you're pulling just, my leg through it, my backside. Yeah, like, totally. Like a it's stinky, like, it's like, so, <laughs> And, and I feel like this, like with vets, like there's at least with many vets, there's like there's none of that. They're just like, oh yeah, your your cat's gonna. It's like when we, when our our chronically sick guy had a giardia for a while, and they're like, oh yeah, you're gonna need to feed him three doses a day of these two different horrible tasting liquid drugs, right, for two weeks. Like that's what I had to do. It's like there has to be a different way, right? There's gotta <laughs> be some other mechanism for this. Uh, because the, the additional that like stress that adds, and like it's a, yeah. it's, it's a challenge every morning. It's then now it's a wrecking the fragile, uh, you know, safety net between like me and this cat, and this cat, like the whole thing. And they're just like, oh yeah, this is like, you just go do this. Or when, when they're talking about food stuff, they're like, oh yeah, you're going to have to put him on this, on this diet that he's not going to want to eat, uh, for at least 30 days. Cause that's, that's how long it takes to tell I'm like, there has, there has to be something else. Right? There has to be some other way to <laughs> there do There've been that. times, there've been times where I go to the vet for something with my dog and they'll be like, okay, so she's got this this condition. She's going to need either – either you can give her these giant antibiotic pills. Yeah, or we can give her a shot. Every two right? weeks. Here's all the rules about how to administer them. Like she can't have it with cheese. She has to eat it with food. You have to make sure she swallows it, blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, and she also hates it and won't want it. Yep. Or we'll just give her an injection right now and then it's fine. Yep. I'm like, why did – why the fuck <laughs> – why are you even <laughs> giving me the option? options? Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, all right. Anyways, let's talk about the studio. Yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about Crashlands too. So we need we need to talk about some imposter syndrome stuff. But first, but first we need to talk about our hilarious accidental Crashlands two reveal mm-hmm. uh, this week. So so here's the thing. Uh, we we uh, you know have our our policy of trying to get games onto as many platforms as possible, right? And one of the fundamental things that we are that we are getting on board with is is DevOps. This idea of continuous deployment, always being always like making builds of things and getting them out, right? So, uh, so we've started some of the preliminary work on Crashlands Two, and one of the early things we need to do is create uh, the different like backend. Pages. It's all your product IDs and stuff so that this – as we make builds, they actually, you know, they go get delivered to yeah. whatever the back is. So we, we want it to be the case that like as we're working on even these early prototypes, we are deploying those prototypes to Steam and, you know, wherever else, right? Um, so that also so that we can test them internally because a lot of these platforms have internal test tracks. So these are not meant to be public things. These are just like we're just getting the infrastructure set up. The, the Google Play – Backend is constantly changing, and the documentation is very Spartan. Uh, disconcerting at times. <laughs> and so, so this week uh, we were getting our our Crashlands to uh, page set up for Google Play. And again, this is like we don't even we don't even have a game yet. This Correct. is like There's no we're just game. getting, yeah. yeah. Um, and so we're getting this thing set up, and. We, we found that like in order to like be able to test the game internally, we also needed to quote publish. Yeah. The, the and game. by discovered this, we mean that that the the Play Store interface literally just said that it said it just it, says, it said you must publish you, this in order to 
to test or to put it in the internal track yeah. or whatever. And so when we were looking back at our level head stuff, we realized we had run into this problem with, with level head also where we ended up with level head. We needed to uh, publish a, just some version of the game. And it didn't need to be like a fully public one. It could be like a published into like a, a closed beta or, or whatever. Um, and we, so we did that with level head and we just set the price to $99 uh, so that nobody would buy it. And then we just pulled it down. Right. Mm-hmm. So that way, like it had been published and now our internal test track was open and now we can actually test the damn thing. <laughs> Again, this is insane, but this is how this works. But this is as far as we could tell, this is how this works. So, so we did the same thing with Crashlands 2. Um, it was up for a day, like a half, a half a day mm-hmm. at, for $99. We had just reused like old screenshots from old Crashlands. Um, and, so and then the the application that we had uploaded was literally just an empty game maker project, like we just needed something, right? So it's just like a black screen, um, and just with that, all of a sudden there's a hubbub. There's somebody noticed. There's people in the Android gaming subreddit talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Android police comes out. This is a it's, it's, a, actually, it's Android, actually funny uh, that they're called Android police. Site. I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they, so they, they spotted it. They start writing an article. They do this like investigative journalism piece where they're speculating like, how could this be? What does it mean? Uh, and then they go through and they found like some old Reddit thread that I had written. And I was like, it was like this, they did this deep dive into trying to figure out what's going on with this thing. Right. And we look at this and we're like, damn, that's great. I, <laughs> that's great. I guess, I guess, pe- and actually somebody in the, in the Android gaming subreddit actually bought they actually paid the $99. Like we put it at $99 so that people wouldn't buy it. Somebody bought it anyway just to see – Just to see what it was what when it they was. downloaded it. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and it was just a black screen and then they just got – then they just refunded, right? Um, but yeah, I mean it was, it was an interesting like uh, accidental market test where we've been kind of on the fence like do people care about this? Is this, is this really the thing we, need, we want to be working on right now? Um, and just the fact that, that – a store page existed with the Crashlands 2 name on it uh, for half a day was enough for us to get an, like even a single article. We were like, okay. Yeah, I mean the it fact that feels like paid, the right track there. If someone paid yeah. $99 so they could maybe get to see it early, I was like, okay, I'm here for that. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of so those let's things. Talk where, about, well, let's yeah, talk about it. Well, yeah, what we're trying we're to at. do is really um, – when it comes to, to Crashlands 2, what we've done – so far, it's just a lot of this pre-production work that we've been talking about uh, here and there with uh, with the overall design, and, and now we're starting to, to crack into some of the visual development stuff. And what's come alongside that is this idea of consistently market testing uh, the game, whether it's the initial pitch, the initial structure of the design, uh, and then also getting into market testing the art. And so, what's been funny about this is I've actually like on my on my sort of targeted. There's literally a first target of a market test, which is which is some form of like an announcement or, you know, something like that uh, to, to test the waters and see if anybody gives a shit. And I've been sort of musing in the back of my head about how exactly to do that. And that's, you know, that's months off because we don't have any, uh, anything we want to share exactly yet with it. But um, I've been musing my head about exactly how to do it. And like, oh, it's kind of tricky because we want to have like, what do we have lined up first? And then this just like happened on Wednesday. And I can't tell you how pleased I was because I was like, great. Like, I didn't have to do anything. And then we got exactly the result <laughs> that I would like, uh, at least, you know, from, again, from the ecosystem that this thing was planted in, right, uh, which is the Android one. So that was really fun. Uh, it was really fun to see, uh, even though it was a, sort of a freaky accident, um, which, you know, wouldn't recommend happening on purpose to anybody, but um, good, good yeah. to happen. And then as far as where we're at on the project, uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're just kind of continuing along this pre-production phase. So like I said, uh, 
prototyping has sort of just barely begun. We're still wrapping up all this tech debt stuff. Uh, but one of the interesting things that's happened is, you know, I'm really, I'm really, uh, I think people who've been listening to the, the, the show for a while will know that as far as the art goes, that I really only got into, into art for real about two years ago. Uh, actually, they're sort of in the middle of the early stages of Levelhead. So when I first, which I think is weird to say. Yeah, it's, where, it's when you move from doing it because you had to, to doing it because you wanted to and also had to. Correct. Uh, and so since then, I've taken, I think, four, four or five classes, uh, been basically doing pretty consistent uh, studies weekly for just trying to figure stuff out, see how things work, doing some animation testing, whatever. And so, yeah, with, you know, as we step into Crash Science 2, it's, it's still going to be a 2D, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really trying to figure out, I'm trying to push everything so that I can, you know, when I, when someone looks at it, the whole goal is that if someone looks at your game and they're just like, yes, I need it. I need it. I will pay $99 for it. Uh, right. And so that's the market I'm trying to hit. And so one of the interesting things that's happened though is, uh, is one is that I, I feel like a few of the, the recent pieces that I've done uh, internally as we've been, been working on the business have been good where they, they've been nailing a sort of a feel and a look. And the weirdest thing about that though has been the secondary feeling that comes afterward, which is I'll make one and I'm like, yeah, I think this is good. And I show it to everybody and they're like, yeah, this is good. And then afterwards I'm like, okay, I did one. Is that the only one that I was like, is that the one? Is it the piece? only good thing I'm? Yeah, like, is that, am I going to be able Because, like, you know, over the course of a project, uh, you know, Levelhead, we've talked about how big, how many art assets are in there. Uh, and same thing for the original Crashings, actually. There's a fuckload of art, like, a, just a tremendous amount of art that goes into these things. And it's the same with the programming and everything else. But uh, I think at the start of a project, before it's sort of like getting a few of those early pieces done, um, is weird because. For, at least for me, I'm I'm trying to punch above where I sort of current where I have where I have previously understood my skills to be, and so anytime you manage to land one of those things, and again, it's like one of the first times you've done it, then I think this question kind of starts eating at you a little bit, which is like, is is this replicable? Like over the course of 500 more assets, right? Can I can I deliver at this level? Um, well, I think actually, to me, that isn't even quite imposter syndrome. Uh, I mean, it is a little bit because the sense of like you clearly could do it once so why couldn't you do it again right mm-hmm. but i think there's actually it's this is more about where you are in your uh your learning how to do this kind of art right because when it came to level head you'd been like you'd been leveling up all your skills the whole time but you you didn't change styles you didn't change tools right mm-hmm. you you changed aspects of your process approach and you you added some some new steps of like sketching steps and that kind of thing and even those as you were doing that stuff at the beginning you were a lot you felt a lot more uncertain about right mm-hmm. sure um and I think this is one of those experience things, which is uh, which is you're talking about this as if the fact that you've been making even just good art for a long time uh, means that now when you're making a new kind of art, you should you should just be like, look, I can do it, so this should be fine, right? Right. But you're really talking about you're now in this actually new realm of uncertainty, which is as you said just a moment ago, like you've made one or whatever, like a tiny mm-hmm. number of good assets with this new style and and when you did when you, when you brought those to us each time you were extremely uncertain about if it actually was good right and also you got way more feedback than usual about all the things that weren't as good right mm-hmm. because it's a new style so you're you're feeling it out you don't actually know how to gauge what is and isn't good like i think i think it's actually at this stage it is completely fair for there to be huge amounts of, of uncertainty in terms of like 
whether or not things are good because you've changed so much in one go and all of it is unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And I think as you start to make more assets, I think what we're going to see here is that is that the first, I don't know, like a couple dozen assets are going to be riddled with this like doubt and uncertainty, right? And I think also you're going to remake all couple dozen of those assets like five times, right? I mm-hmm. think is what's going to happen. And then once we get on the other side of that, you're going to be, you're going to end up now back in that state you were like in the middle of level head development, right? Where, yeah, there's always some imposter syndrome. There's always some uncertainty involved, but for the most part, you're just going to be working on stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because actually, if we think back to old old Crashlands days, <clears throat> it is true that probably the first 20 to 30 assets are assets that were made for the game. So things like the sticks, the all, all the terrain, the environmental terrain. Yeah. Um, many of those things were actually redone in some cases up to three or four times. I think the stick right. was the one thing that wasn't, right? Like the, oh, the, the good stick. stick. Yeah, the stick, mm-hmm. the stick stuck around. You know, some things are so perfect that so they can't be improved <laughs> upon. Yeah, it was like the platonic ideal of the stick. It's honestly true, though, because like that was one of the first things that I made in that game that looked good, which is so funny. It's so <laughs> dumb to say, but like literally it's a stick with like a, you know, like a, it's like your classic twig, you know, it's like a single line and then a broken off sort of, uh, you know, branch point. It for some yep. reason I was like, this is a good stick. And it it's was, a good <laughs> stick. <laughs> it was a good stick. Uh, yeah, but everything, else, good everything stick. else got remade. And if you think about it too, towards the end of development, like it was really hard for you to not go back and remake everything again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, I think the, the, position to take at this phase is like to, to try to flesh out the style, but not necessarily go for perfection. Right. Yeah. Cause the, the, the quality comes with reps. Right. Yep. Right. And so, so it's going to be more about filling out, filling out the game, this early phase of the game with, with uh, lots of content, feeling out the style and then going back and revising some of the earlier yeah, things. And I think, the, I think just like in programming, I think the assumption should be when you, when you complete an asset, it's like in particular at the beginning, um, that you just assume this is actually a prototype of the, even no matter how good it is, no matter how, and, and no matter how much you think, even when it's done, you're like, oh yeah, this is like, this is now the character, right? Um, the assumption should be that by the time you've now finished out like the, you know, like a draft of the biome. So it's like, you've got, you've now got real terrain in there that you've maybe swapped out a couple times too. You've now got like the plants where you expect you got like a building now, like you, you have enough in there that now you look at, fl- you look at flux or whatever, you know, you look at the character, right. In that context. And you say, does this still make sense? Does this still mm-hmm. track? Now that, right. now the story has moved a little bit. Uh, is it, does it feel like, does it feel like this character's design reflects the sort of attitude and, and what's going on with this, with this thing? Now that we've discovered, like now that we've experimented with this other mechanism, gameplay, right. right. There's different gameplay mechanic or whatever. Uh, does the animation requirements change? Yeah, like, there's going to be so much that's that's going to be changing as we as we do this. I think, I think we have to continuously avoid being in a production mindset. Just just completely avoid it until we have actually confidently locked down everything. Where we say, okay, we actually know. We know the mechanics. We know all this. We know the story. We know we know everything. We prototyped all of it. We've redrafted the code a bunch of times. We've redrafted the the art a bunch of times, we feel like we now know what this thing is. And then we flip from pre-production mm-hmm. into post-production or I mean production. <laughs> and, then production. <laughs> and then we just, and then now, and now it's a matter of just being like, we know what this thing is. Now we make it and we, we make, we make the thing as it's supposed to be. If in the end, if three months later, we're like, Oh, we don't like this thing as much too fucking bad. We're in production. We have a million more things to make, right? We'd have mm-hmm. to just keep on moving. This is the time where we get to, we just get to experiment and just decide what actually is good and what good means, what the and what the vibe is, and all of that. Yeah, I guess what's interesting is because all this stuff is so circular at the beginning because it's yeah, it's, it's very very like circular. You're putting down the first 
the first you know points in the in the sand for what this thing is supposed to look like, right? And so the reality is that every single one of those that you put down, I'm sure, so anybody who listens to the guys, like I think anytime you're working on a creative problem, or actually if you're just doing problem solving, uh, oftentimes this is what happens, which is you'll you know you make a you make a small inroad somewhere, and then that causes you to have to go sort of rethink the previous structure of the thing because that now exists, right? And so this early phases, that's basically where we're at. And that's happening on all fronts sort of simultaneously. It's, it's happened a lot with the design already, uh, but we're sort of moving into the, the biz dev phase. And so I guess, yeah, makes sense that there's just a lot of like, is it good? Is uh, it good? Can is I it- even do this again? I don't know. I'm just I, think, I, I think it's fine to think that like, no, like that's a perfectly reasonable thought right now, because right now is the exploratory phase where you're trying new tools, trying new approaches, trying new art styles, trying new animation, trying new everything. And it would be wild if you like sat down, banged out a new character for the game, which is the thing that a player will look at for, you know, a thousand hours, hopefully, right? And be like, yeah, I just fucking nailed that. <laughs> right? Nailed, nailed that it in one. In one. <laughs> this is the thing we're going to have forever. And I, and I knew all the questions ahead of time somehow. I knew everything. And so I made this to exactly fit the entire reality of what this game will become in three years or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Which is – I think it kind of speaks to – we've always had that position that like you can't plan stuff. Um, and I even made a GDC talk about it. Um, we're trying to plan more this time, but it's not really planning so much as we're trying to anticipate in advance some of the questions that we will stumble across through the iterative process. Mm-hmm. Well, I think right. the idea is plan so, at the right time. If you, if you plan when everything is a question, then you don't have a plan. You just have a random bullshit hypothetical thing you made up, right? Right. If you have all the questions answered, if you know what the questions are and have answered all or most of them, right? then now you can design a solution, which I feel like is different than – because to me, plan always means like I've predicted the future. Like to me, that's what the – as a word, that's what that feels like it means, right? Versus like design or solve or whatever, right? Where it's like I've identified the suite of problems. Now I just have to like do the work of putting the solution together, right? Um, yeah. So I feel like that's kind of the difference in how I think about it. This. But it is it is pretty fun, and, and actually, there was a YouTube video that uh, was it Mark Brown, yeah, from GM put, Game Maker's like, Toolkit, yeah, Game Maker's Toolkit, um, <clears throat> put out a, about the idea of games designing themselves, right? And there's so many iconic games out there, like uh, Rocket League or Tribes, you know, where the core thing that makes the game what it is was discovered accidentally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and we even had this with Levelhead with the grappling. Uh, the grappling hook, right? Like without that, I don't know what the game would be, but it would definitely not be what yeah. <laughs> what it's turned out to I be. think the idea there is that if you do have that separate, isolated prototyping phase where you're learning all of this stuff and and, you know, and discovering all of these things, uh, and you just separate that because if you're doing this during production, because basically that's where the cost comes from, right? If you're doing this during production, which we is historically how we've always done it, then the costs are really high because your cost to make every asset to to write every line of code. Everything now is really, really high because the, the just the requirements are higher. The fidelity has to be spot on the whole time, right? And so every time you now discover a new thing as part of that process, the cost to actually weaving that new thing into the bigger picture is fucking well, enormous. I, I, I actually I kind of disagree though because it because it sounds like it sounds like you're sort of laying down a a line in the sand of saying like. We've answered all the questions that we're going to answer. Now we're in production. But the fact is like so, so many things can only be discovered 
once you have all the pieces in place and you actually have a, like a game that you are in production on and then you realize, oh my God, this like once we have all these systems in place, there's this aspect of it that comes together to form this emergent gameplay thing that we didn't really yeah, So you don't, you don't think know. that all of that already should have been in place in the prototype? That's, that's what's supposed to be done. Be well, well that's, that's, that's the, yeah, the, that's the, the difficulty is, is, uh, is you can prototype a, a lot of things, right? But prototyping every single game system to the point where you have all of the, the content that makes the game systems work, uh, it's it's very hard to figure out where the line is between the, that being a prototype and just being the game. Oh yeah, yeah. You I would know? I would never think that once you sat down to actually like move into the production phase that you would just be like, okay, we're on rails now. Like this is going to be trivial. We just like do the yeah. work and we're done. Um, but the idea of that phase is, is doing a, a, as much work as possible ahead of time when it's cheap, while you're the while, while things are not being made, you know, quote unquote, for production. The fidelity, it's lower. yeah, yeah. It's the difference between I think pumping the game full of content. Versus yeah. uh, figuring out the systems. So that's you know, yeah. yeah, on a high level. Yeah, so figure as, like, get as much content as you as you think you need in there in order to understand the things mm-hmm. about, that or nothing to discover more. the things that may come yeah. up. And nothing more, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So you do. So unlike say in Levelhead, where as soon as we wanted to have an enemy, we made like six enemies in one go, right? So we didn't have the opportunity to answer questions about what does it feel like to have enemies, right? Like what 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 kinds of interesting new questions come out as a consequence of having an enemy or an enemy or those, of like the uh, two types that we think might with be the game modes. You know, we spent a good modes, amount of time yeah. on those game modes. Um, that yep. you know, we didn't even we have one functional game mode, and we, yeah. and we had <laughs> so we had four non-functional game modes at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's that kind of thing. Yep. It's like don't yep. you don't need to do that, right? And, and I think that, that's the that's the lesson that we learned is is uh, or that we're trying to have learned because it's I think mm-hmm. it's very easy to get very excited about something and just start to make it right. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it's it's all about like how do you answer as many questions as possible as cheaply as possible and give yourself the opportunity to discover the things that you don't know or even questions yet, uh, all before you really just are doing extremely costly development work. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's hard to answer that because you know it's complicated. Yep, yep. But we're trying. Uh, all right, so I think it's about time for us to get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest uploaded question comes from Chelosis. Chelosis says, what's the worst home improvement project you ever tried to do? <laughs> mm. Oh, man. I mean, most of them. Each one is worse than the last. Probably. It's one of those things where I think because you oftentimes haven't done it before, you don't even know what all the suite of things are that could go sideways. So you can't prepare effectively enough. So it's always going to be one of those like I went back and back and forth to Home Depot like four times. To solve this one silly problem because I couldn't because I don't know anything about it. Yeah, uh, I think. I mean, ours, I've landed firmly in the camp of not solving my own home improvement. Yeah, problems. that's kind of where I'm at too. Mm-hmm. But even in that case, you can still you can still have a still have stuff go sideways. I mean, you guys, yeah, yeah, even door. if somebody else is improving your home, that can that can go pretty wrong. Yeah, but at least it's going sideways on their time. You know, it's true. Mm-hmm. Like, what about your door that you just got fixed? Finally, yeah, that went pretty sideways. Yeah, it it did, but you know. The, it didn't really affect my life. Right? Like we said, we said like we need a new door. We take the time to just like order it. It shows up with a hole drilled through it. So we're like, well, that's not <laughs> that's not right. But uh, we had, but the it was it was through Home Depot. Mm-hmm. So we had the we had the person come and he installed it. And and of course the door is all like in a box and stuff. So we don't know that it has a hole through it until 
Dylan's guy out of the there. box. Yep. And we're looking at it and we're like, honestly, this is still an improvement over the door that we currently have. Because <laughs> so, the door we had w- didn't close. Mm-hmm. It yep. just didn't close, right? Which is like one of the core functions of a door. So I was like, you know what we'll do? We'll get this door installed because the guy's here. The door is here. All the pieces are in place. The plan is underway. We'll install the door. And then I just, uh, I rolled up a, a, the hole wasn't too big. It's like the size of a finger, right? So I just rolled up a paper towel real tight, stuck it in there, snipped it off at the ends, and then taped over it. I'm like, boom, hole is insulated for now. <laughs> no, no bugs are getting in that hole. Yep. Uh, and then uh, we contacted Home Depot about it, and then they sent us a new door and a new person to install it. And that was that, right? But like, it took 20 minutes for for like my part in this whole thing. Right, it took right. like 20 minutes, right? Um and the same thing, like our a, a, a tree branch. We had this big storm. Tree branch fell on our roof, and it dented our gutter. So our gutter had like a V shape, right? And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, man, fuck. Now my mm-hmm. gutter's dented. Uh, am I gonna get on a ladder, climb up there, try to figure? Like I don't know. I don't know how the fuck to undent a gutter. <laughs> <laughs> I've never ever conceived of this problem or how to fix mm-hmm. it, and I don't have any of the knowledge, right? So, uh, so I just call some gutter people and they come and they undent my gutter and also they clean it. And also they put a guard on top of it. So now like leaves and shit can't get in there. Boom. Took me again, 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I think so, really probably the great. main errors come from when you try to do it yourself. Cause like in our yeah. case, it was, it was yeah. definitely, I think I told the story before on the podcast. That deck. The deck. Yeah, you guys fucked that up real good. Yeah, <laughs> well, my wife's like, "Yeah, it'll be super easy." And then we go get all the stuff, start working on it, and four hours later, have like a, you know just the smallest little patch of it done, and it's hot and terrible. And I'm like looking at all of the surface area for the first time on a deck and realizing just how much there is because there's four sides to every pole. And like the top, the side, whatever, the whole thing. And I was just like, "This is terrible." And then we call someone to fix it, and they come out and they're like, "Nah." Like, you guys did such a terrible job that we literally can't put our name on it. <laughs> literally, that's what they say. And I'm like, what is happening? This is horrible. I hate it. Uh, and then end up having to get, like, some random handyman dude to do it who does, like, the most medium job imaginable. But, again, like I said, kind of like having a, do- a door with I, a I smaller like the hole idea in it. that you did such a bad job <laughs> that the only people willing to touch it were also people who would also do a bad job uh, <laughs> yeah. just to get it done. So, so it's done Yeah, now. I asked him. I was like, so are you saying that I need to, like, have this done poorly? And then wait like four or five years for the finish to like wear off and then call you guys. And he was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, okay. All right, uh, but think, But think about what this – I mean with, with home improvement projects. So like my – our generation, uh, we have a hard time getting homes, right? Correct. Like they're all owned already and they're expensive. So so we don't we, – we aren't like the, the generation from – you know, who grew up in like the fifties and sixties. You bought where, a house for hey, five dollars and then, you're like, hey, I turned yeah. eighteen. Um I've been flipping burgers for six hours. It's time to buy a house. Right. College too already while flipping those burgers yeah. for six hours. And and also like the economy was different at that time where where people did do most of their own home improvement projects, mm-hmm. right? And so like people grew up helping with those projects around the house and then they had their own house immediately. There was no like middle apartment stage or some bullshit. So nowadays uh, uh, there are people who can come fix your shit uh, at a reasonable rate. And also usually it's your landlord because you're in an apartment for yep. 15 years. You're not allowed you to house. fix things yourself. Yeah. 
So like I, the idea that I that I would like buy a house and then suddenly just be able to do drywalling or like shit that I've never had to do, never thought about doing, never conceived of, uh, is wild. And then just the fact that if I make a like you like what you experienced, Sam, if I make a mistake. It can be very expensive. It, it, <laughs> yes. Yeah. If I if I make a mistake, literally the first time I've ever done this thing. Which is guaranteed. Then it's like it's like boom, hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. Just yeah, it's more cost effective just to hire somebody out of the gate. Yeah. You know? And so that's that's you know, I, I did I think there was like one thing I, I tried to do where I tried to like put these these coat hangers on the wall. Um, but for, oh, for whatever reason, the, for whatever reason, the, the, the drywall anchors and like, the thing is, I know, I know how some of these things work, right? So I'm putting in the drywall anchors, but the drywall anchors that came with the hooks were some kind of weird cheap thing where like I started screwing them into the drywall and they just ripped in half, so, except they're now like half of them is stuck in the drywall. Yep. Well, the only way you're going to get that out is by drilling a bigger hole and now you can't put a drywall anchor in because there's a giant hole in the wall, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I ended up just with a bunch of holes in my wall. And then I I uh I had some I had somebody come, patch that hole, and then repaint back over it. And that was that was the end of it. I don't I don't have coat hangers. <laughs> <laughs> and the the entirety right? of our of like of my you know quote unquote home improvement projects is basically putting things on into walls, right? And in, yeah. in our house, our house is it's an old, old house. Uh, it was built in 1895 or some crazy Mainly thing. Mainly brick, isn't it? Yeah, it's all brick. And so the, so it's brick on the outside. Then the interior now is like whatever has happened for the past 130 years, right? Right. Uh, and so every time I go to a wall, there's you just don't know what's going to be back there. Could It's 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 120 <laughs> years of stuff, right? It's behind every wall. And so I've got all the things. I've got like – I've got my stud finder. I've got like – I've got various kinds of instruments for trying to detect what's behind the wall, right? Uh, it turns out that all those are just horseshit as far as – my experience has yep. been. Uh, and so, so I'll be like, I'll be like moving across a wall to like, it'll blink in this spot. And then in this spot, I'm like, okay, cool. So I like, I know kind of where things are. So then I go around those things and I go through and then suddenly like I hit a fucking junction box or I hit a, a vent <laughs> or, or an air duct. I mean, right. And, uh, and so, so there, there was, there's this like, was it, like a nine month period where there were just two holes in a, in our bathroom wall, um, that both just one, one that hit a junction box and one that hit, uh, uh, air Air vent, <laughs> air ducts, and uh, because like I drilled into them, because thinking there was nothing there after using my my magic my magic technology, you know, mm-hmm. and in both cases, I just bumped into those things, and they were right behind the drywall, so I couldn't like I couldn't use that to mount anything. So then I just had holes there, and I was like, I don't want to patch this. So it's just two tiny. It's holes. just two tiny holes. So that like literally just like nine months later, I finally you know, but it's like that's been my whole experience. I when we try to hang up those uh, one of those closet kits that you get from container mm-hmm. store, you know, and it was the same fucking deal. Like, so my, my wife found the perfect spot in her office. And so she got the thing size, like we got it all in and then I went up to put it up and then sure enough, uh, two of the fucking four <laughs> holes for like the top mount thing, um, just hit things behind it. And, and both of them, it was a, it was another air duct. Right. And one <laughs> is like right behind, there's like a quarter inch of, of free space. And one like, there was like a whole half inch of free space. And so, so then I'm over here being like, okay, well I got a Dremel. Right. So I'm like, I'm cutting the screws shorter to try to like figure out if I can make stuff fit, <laughs> go to the hardware store and buy like four kinds of, of different drywall. Yep, I think this is why. Like, one of these is going to work. Like- and I eventually did do it, but, but I'm not, I'm very suspicious about one of those anchors and it, what it's actually doing. Uh, but I figure three out of four is pretty good. Probably <laughs> right. so good. I, think, I think it's the thing, right? It's like you go to hang something on the wall, 
and the amount of things that can go sideways, not just the painting itself, oh, yeah. but it's like a nightmare. just it just putting something at the wall is too damn high. Yeah, it know? is the case. Well, that every time we've done something interesting, like we had our, all of our toilets replaced. When we moved into to like ones that weren't a thousand years old and sucked. You know, I mean that, that did suck, but in but powerful the correct good way. way. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in our and like and one of them when we re, when we replaced it, the guy ended up having to be because it's like it's a simple thing and like in principle, yeah, I could replace a toilet. Gross. Not interested. Simple is not easy. Else to do that. Simple is not easy. So, so we have our, so the guys up here doing it. He did the first because we, we like replaced everything. So he did like in like an, an hour, he'd like replaced four fixtures, like two toilets and two sinks, right? He goes up to do the last one. Six hours later, after him having to go out and like buy some wood <laughs> and like do all this kind of stuff, because it turned out that underneath the old one, like, there, it was just, it was literally just resting. Like the thing that was holding it up was the, was the pipe below it. It like wasn't resting <laughs> on anything. The floor wasn't holding it up. It was just fucking sitting on a pipe. And he's like, he'd come down after he'd, after he'd discovered this and he was like, uh, he's like, I could just put something back on there, but I feel like this is bad. I was like, yes, this is bad. Just like, just, just fix this shit. And so then, yeah, so then six hours and like a jillion dollars later, we get that thing fixed, right? So it, it is the case. Like every time, Every time you poke behind something with with house mm-hmm. stuff, it's just like it becomes a bigger and bigger nightmare. So my strategy has been to avoid it wherever possible, and then hire yes. really good experts, and then just and then when when I think I can afford to do it, and otherwise let things be shitty for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this reminds me of all all throughout this week we've been working on shoring up some of the last pieces of this tech debt stuff, and mm-hmm. we'll be like, okay, time to do this super simple thing, right? There's always uh, some fucking thing we got. We're going to do it. And then nine things go wrong. And we're like, oh, wait a minute. And then as you fix those things, you discover there's nine other things mm-hmm. that are fucked up. Yeah. And, yeah. The theme from this week was, man, it's always some fucking thing. Mm-hmm. It can never, there can never not be some fucking thing. You can't you just know? hang a picture <laughs> on the wall. You know, you can't. Yeah. I think there's been maybe like, can't. of all the things that I've stuck into walls over my lifetime, I think like, like three or four of them were were seamless. It was just like poked a hole, perfect. The hole did nothing was back there. Everything worked out great. Uh, yep. I didn't I didn't misalign anything. Like everything is everything's great. Put a thing. It, it was it's been like it's like two toilet paper hang like rack thingies and like a like a towel bar. I think that's like that's the entirety of my pure success with home improvement projects. Even like mm-hmm. I was getting into woodworking a few years ago and uh, now it's just too hot and I haven't been able to do it. But I was, just, I was like learning stuff and like fucking up. Cause like, it's part of learning. Right. Which as Seth was saying, you can't just go suddenly become a, a, a house magician. Right. So, but I was like, I'm going to learn some woodworking stuff. So I was playing with things and I built, I built my own, uh, my own like woodworking desk thing, you know, and I was like super pumped about it, but I kind of fucked up a little bit where some of the the boards weren't like misaligned, but they were like somewhere like a little raised relative to each other. So it was just kind of a mm-hmm. little, it wasn't a perfectly flat surface, but I'd also got this cool electric planer, you know, which I was very excited about. And so I was like, Oh, I can just fucking just like plane it, you know, just like get mm-hmm. rid of that, that height, uh, having never used this thing before. Right. And so I go to do it. And then now I just, now it's like this crazy, like hideous monstrosity. Like I turned the thing that was like a minor problem into now like a piece <laughs> yeah. of shit. Because, <laughs> because it's, like, whole basically. Well, it's basically because yeah, I just like planed across it and then like, but you can't like perfectly get these things to line up like, yep. after you've gone across yep. once. And so now instead of a thing that has like these like smooth edges where each board is just like a slightly different, you know, height coming up. Now the like the three boards in the front all have like three grooves across them at different heights with sharp edges. And it's just, <laughs> it's just stupid. <laughs> just stupid. I think this, this is why command strips were so successful. Oh God, command strips are fucking great. Yep. Because you're just like, cool, I can put whatever I want on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I know 
what that is, you know? But think about the marketing there because literally all you're doing is taping something to the wall, mm-hmm. you know? Like that's what it can it, Yeah, but it's a real good tape. tape. It's a real good tape, tape. And it's not super likely to pull your paint off. It's like it's likely to keep the thing hanging there. So it's not likely to fall mm-hmm. off. When you do decide you want to get rid of it, it's not likely to rip the paint off. In my experience, paint still comes off pretty fucking frequently. Just saying, if any, uh, if any command strip sponsors are out there, I mean, oh, yeah. we got you if you want to. Oh, yeah. I haven't really heard them uh, sponsoring podcasts. <laughs> but new market. New market opportunity, you know? What is the – it seems like there's some products that you literally only hear about on podcasts. I think it's anything think targeting it's, millennials. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just because if yeah. you think about a podcast as far as like being able to target an audience, mm-hmm. like a, you know exactly what a person is about by what podcasts they listen to. You know what I mean? Like it's not – it's not as a uh, it's not as vague of a thing as like oh yeah we're gonna like show an ad during I don't know like the some, Super Bowl yeah the Super Bowl or some shit because like everybody participates in these things but if you're like okay yeah we're gonna show our ad to people who are listening to Butter Butterscotch Shenanigans comedy podcast which is all about game dev like you know exactly you mean it's a little bit about game dev it's, it's about fifteen yeah, percent <laughs> about game dev yeah I, and I think it's, it's also about command strips. Mm-hmm. So, I know. Command strip. Who makes those? 3M? I yeah, assume they do. They make everything with they, sticky stuff. They on. make everything sticky. Yeah, but, yeah, but it's, it, is, it is a case of that. I think I think because of all these like medium to bad experiences trying to do very simple things uh, with with household stuff, like my I, my go-to now is, is to not do a thing first because like I'm already stressed out just thinking about all the possible things. Like my, my wife's been wanting to hang stuff. Like the, we've lived in this house now for four years, something like that, right? Uh, we have no art on any wall. It's nothing, right? Because every time we talk about doing it, I'm like, but oh God. but once we start, there's going to be a fucking <laughs> hole in this wall, and it's not going to work because it's going to turn out there's something back there that we can't poke a thing through. Now there's a hole in this wall. Now we're going to have to patch that shit or just like hang something even higher. Now this is going to be not misaligned with everything else that we've hung. It's going to become a nightmare, and like I'm already stressed out. I don't want to do it. Uh, so that is – yeah, that's uh, – Yep. That's all you do. Command strips, Adam. You just got to paint your walls nice colors, which, yeah, which we done. did do. We made it also our walls are not boring, just sort of out of the gate. And otherwise, yeah, command strips. Command strips are great. And even like we were putting, we were putting a, a sewing table for my wife together. So she like bought an Ikea, one of those big like cube, cube, uh, what do you call them? Cube bookshelf thingies. It's just like, you know, mm-hmm. six little cube slots. Mm-hmm. So it's like yeah. a big thing. And then, just, and then bought just like a, a tabletop. And we're like, okay, we're just gonna, we just need to stick these together. That was going to be the problem, right? It's so like we get these stuff, these things home, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm knocking the thing. I'm like, oh fuck, this thing's hollow, right? It's like, what's going to happen if I try to like just screw these together? Because yep. it's, it's made out of basically cardboard, you know. So I was like, oh, I don't know what to do here. And then I had bought these like really powerful just Velcro mounting tape things, and I was like, what if we just fucking Velcro these? To the <laughs> just tape them together. Just, and it, it's amazing. And actually, it's. Like I didn't realize, like Velcro is strong as shit when you got a bunch of it. Um, that thing, like it, it kind of wobbles a bit, but uh, but only a tiny bit. But if you want to get it off, it is really because we had to take it off once too. It was like so hard to get off, but you still could take it off, you know, mm-hmm. which is pretty rare. You, yeah. you literally just you're just describing a command strip again. So I know, I know, <laughs> exactly. It's just a command. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's a three M product too. So yeah, so three M. Three M. Tape it together. That's well. Yeah, we're already. Uh, we'll just take our sponsorship check in the mail. Yep. You can just send that on over. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to, uh, well, everything. 
So thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.